Owl Nation, you are now listening to the Owl Chat Podcast, your one-stop shop for everything Kennesaw State Athletics, with your hosts, Kai Millette and John Finer. And welcome back to the Owl Chat Podcast post-game show. I am here joined, as always, by my co-host and partner, Mr. John Finer. Um, Owl's former big man Aaron Anderson, producer Nick Masseroni, and social media manager Mr. Tim Desmond. Fellas, we're here to recap the Owl's 88-77 to win over Georgia State this Saturday. How are we feeling today, boys? I'm feeling great, man. This is a uh, victory Monday. Um, you know, I'm on top of the world. Uh, we beat Georgia State. Screw them. Um, with all due respect, of course. Uh, I'm I'm happy. How are you guys doing? Can't complain. Big win. Always nice to, to play an in-state rival, a soon-to-be rival again. Uh, big win, big atmosphere, which we'll jump into, but a great game to watch. Right, and we'll uh, we'll talk about the future of this uh, quote-unquote rivalry a bit because it seemed like both coaches uh, want to make this a more regular thing. And from what I'm hearing, there is an effort being made to make this a home-and-home home next year in addition to um, our trip down to downtown Atlanta. But anyways, um, all of us, except for Aaron, were at the game. I was at the media table. Um, Nick was doing his thing um, on the court. Um, Aaron is in Arizona. I should have mentioned that. And then uh, John was up in the stands. So y'all, how was y'all's perspective? What did we think of the atmosphere? I thought the atmosphere was great. Um, you know, I think people came in a little bit late. I'm not sure if they were just hanging out, getting some food early on, but it really filled out after the game started. I you know, 20 minutes before tip, I was a little bit concerned. I'm like, okay, you know, kind of worried. Are we going to get people in here? What's it going to look like? But once it started, man, it was packed. It was awesome. And, you know, it had me at times missing the days when you could bring out your laptop and, you know, get some get some schoolwork done uh, during some basketball. So, uh, but no, like, I thought it was awesome. I actually hung around to watch the, uh, the girls game because, um, you know, I was originally going to uh, head out. Uh, but I decided, you know what, the traffic in the deck, I mean, that thing was full. So I just decided to hang on. And then eventually it got to the point where it's like, okay, 20 minutes until tip off, I might as well hang around. So I did. And I sat courtside for that one and had a good time. Uh, what was your experience like, uh, you know, Kai? Uh, it was good. Um, I wasn't expecting it to be sold out. And that's what they reported it as. I think the final official number was um, 3,805. Uh, you can, you know, give or take with that. Um, basically, they said the fire marshal wasn't letting anybody else in the building. So, you know, we'll call it a sellout. Um, I was hoping to hit 3000 and, you know, seems like we blew that out of the water. Um, it was kind of hard to tell how many people in the upper levels were um, of the Georgia State faithful. They were all wearing kind of like off colored. I saw a lot of black, a lot of white up there. So, you know, you couldn't really tell. Um, maybe it was just, you know, students figuring out that there was a game going on, couldn't get in the section late and headed up there. That's kind of what the case was last year. Um, but yeah, it was a fantastic atmosphere. I think it uh, impacted the game a lot. It felt like a real home court advantage. Um, so I was very encouraged. Uh, hopefully we see more of it down the line and this is not just, you know, a one-time gimmick thing. I'm excited to see, um, the type of crowds we get going into the conference season. Owl nation deserves a ton of credit because on one of the most busy sports Saturdays in the fall with college football, uh, championship games going on for conferences, that place was packed and mm -hmm. it felt like the Liberty game. And mm -hmm. not maybe from an energy perspective, but from a crowd perspective. Mm -hmm. 
and especially the students that showed up because they were there early. Like I, I can say the, the crowds on the sides eventually filled in, but both of those student sections filled up and it was a phenomenal sight and, and credit again to all of the people that came out and supported and were loud. And I mean, that was a fun environment to work in. Uh, I can only imagine what it was like to play in because like the players mm. looked like they were having a great time out there too. Nick, I did feel there was some cheating going on with uh, some of those games on, on the court, but, uh, you know, I'll let that slide. Uh, what do you got, Kai? <laughs> okay, I want to continue on that, actually, Nick. I got to ask you, for the people that were there, they'll understand this, but what was, how did that happen? How did that little, uh, you know, art piece history quiz thing come about? <laughs> so a little behind quiz? the scenes on the Whataburger emoji puzzles that were done by the uh, first ever, the original banana band, Matthew Bailey. Um, he also works in the marketing department in athletics. And yesterday was the last day for the athletic director or that oversees marketing, uh, Nino. He's moving on to uh, a new career, but big shout out to Nino. He's been awesome to work with and I wish him nothing but success where he goes, but it was his last game in the arena. So he wanted to put his own little twist on it and do something kind of crazy out there. And that's what they did. Um, and you know, I really had to, to pull out the acting skills on that one a little. Cause I was like, I don't know what to do. Do I go out there and just laugh the whole time? Because like in my head, like it was, it was funny. Cause I know nobody else had any idea what was going on. So I was like, uh, all right, I guess I'll just play it off and we'll see what happens. But it was, it was completely staged. It was staged. Yeah. And I liked it. It kept it fresh. Um, for those of you who don't know what we're talking about, they did like those like emoji puzzles where they list different emojis and you have to like guess a song or a movie. And they were doing like historical events. And then there were two of them that it kind of like, okay, you know what? Maybe he's a history major. You know, he could figure out the first two. And they get to the third one and he rolls off like this, like, 25 word answer to what the emojis were and at that point i'm like okay this is shenanigans but i enjoy it so at the at the end it felt like i was like calling yost like at the end of a weekend update when they bring in like one of those fake guests to talk and it's just like it's like the banana man everybody like i was just like i don't know how to like say anything at the end i'm like i'm just gonna boom there you go yeah, yeah. it was yeah. it was great and also the whole atmosphere was great as we mentioned but you know i just want to talk about how the hell have we not done this in 34 years? I mean, obviously, we sucked in basketball for a lot of it. And, you know, I don't know what Kennesaw went, was at D2, and I assume Georgia State was at D1 for a while. So we had that going against us. But it's a 30-minute bus ride, no hotel money needed. You know, if you do a home-and-home home each year, it's two competitive games. You take away, you know, the travel money that you're going to be wasting, all that kind of stuff, or maybe seeing another mid-major. Save a lot of time. You'll sell a large amount of tickets. I mean, what the hell is the downside? Maybe there's like some administration beef that's no longer around that we just don't know about. Situation like, uh, I don't know if you knew this, but um, Alabama refuses to play uh, UAB because of some like family beef that happened like 50, 60 years ago. So I don't know, maybe there's something there that we're missing, but, you know, glad it happened. Um, Petway was talking about it afterwards, like I mentioned before, and he was like, okay, we want to make this happen every year. Um, it seems like Jonas Hayes is in the same boat. That being said, I don't know how much longer Jonas Hayes is going to be around with the way things are going. So um, we'll see. But yeah, great atmosphere. Um, it was definitely a notch below the Liberty game, but I think that was just because it didn't you know, mean quite as much. Um, but yeah, I mean, 
like you said, Nick, it was a packed, you know, sports Saturday, even especially like in the general city. I mean, just down the road, you had Duke and Georgia Tech playing at the same time. And then two hours later, you have the SEC championship and we're able to fill our building up with Kennesaw State and Georgia State. So it was super, super encouraging to see. And and now, you know, when it doesn't happen for football, people are going to say, what's the excuse now? You know, we could point to this and say, hey, we filled this building up. Obviously, you know, filling up 3,000, 4,000, whatever it is, is different than filling up the entire uh, bank. But still, you know, if we can bring this crowd for basketball, you know, let's see if we can do it for football, too. Right. Speaking of just capacity and, you know, the little bit of controversy around that, I did kind of get official word that the Mercer attendance number from like 10 years ago, where they said we had like 4,400 people in the building or 4,800 was inaccurate. And it was just like hyperinflated by the administration at the time. So it is no longer officially recognized, meaning that the Georgia State game was tied for the most um, people in attendance um, in Convocation Center history. So that is what the department says. Their words, not mine. Dang, Kai, way to disappoint. That's that's right in my neck of the woods. Come on, Kai. (laughs) <laughs> Sorry, well, you played in that game, did you not? I did, and I swear there was at least 4,400 in there. Come on. Did they at least? Up, okay, did they fill up the aisles, or like, was there another way they did it? No, I'm just kidding. I couldn't tell you, but uh, it is disappointing to hear that we don't, we no longer have the record. I'll tell you that. And what about the the Georgia Tech game? Do we that have any more ideas? Than that felt yeah. more than Mercer to me. Right. It might just be you know the department wanting to bury the history. So disappointing, but that is uh, that's what they say now. Can we go retroactively fire somebody? (laughs) (laughs) That's a little bit counterintuitive. Um, Let's talk about the game a little bit because that's what people are here for. Um, So I'm going to start with, you know, early in the game, it seemed like we made a real emphasis of actually attacking the basket, uh, getting the ball in the paint. We got DeMond touches in the paint. I think the first uh, basket of the game was um, just like a post move from DeMond where we scored. And I was like, oh, my gosh, finally, you know, (laughs) it's it was so refreshing to see. So, yeah, how do we feel about that, guys? I felt great. I mean, I thought the Owls set the tone from the jump going up 6-0. Gentlemen, I don't know if you noticed this, but I checked the box score, and we had zero ties and zero lead changes. That means it was Owls from the go. Uh, KSU's game from the first two points. At 14.57 in the first half, it was 10-8 Owls. And GSU didn't score again until 7.43 left in the uh, half. What's that, like seven plus minutes or something like that? I don't know. I can't do math. Um, But at least I know what 15 times four is, gentlemen. I promise you that. Uh, But anyways, it was uh, 27 to 11 owls and that before the uh, 17-0 run. So we had the 17-0 run. Can you believe that? And they never, we never looked back. I mean, I was just going to say kudos to the coaching staff. Uh, The first few plays of the game are always going to be scripted offensively. We're going to go into the game knowing what the the game plan is going to be, at least the first few plays. And they made a a concerted effort to get the ball into the paint to DeMond. And to his credit, he made a bucket to get us going. And that really set the tone. I mean, we'll jump into it a lot later. But I, as much as I've talked about how I love to see us get in the paint, especially DeMond, you know, I was happy to see that. That was a great way to start the game. And and uh, and again, kudos to the coaching staff. Kudos to Damon to uh, getting the getting the party started that way. Do you think Coach so Petway so- is listening to the Owl Chat podcast? I hope not. I hope he's getting <laughs> Me watching too. I as hope he's much doing film as things. possible. He, he is. He's watching film. He's getting the team ready. He's got too many things on his plate. But I was happy to see that we are aligned a little bit with what they're seeing as well. 
Yeah. So, yeah, just to kind of run through the game or the rest of the game for those who didn't watch, um, like John said, we go on that 17-0 run. At one point, we were up 27-8, to just completely cruising. Um, and then State got to the line a few times, kind of got in a better offensive rhythm. Um, and then in the last, like, 10 minutes or so of the game, or of the first half, GSU switched to a zone, um, then went on a brief 8-0 run to make the halftime score 43-32, to but we were still in control. Um, Kennesaw State came out firing in the second half um, and would lead by many as 21 at one point. I think it was 70-49. to um, And then we had a string of just bad trips to the line. I think we missed two, two or three times. Um, shot 64% on the day. So not the worst, but still, you know, not great. Uh, and then a late GSU run, you know, cuts the lead down to single digits. Um, but the owls were able to see it out 88 to 77. And, you know, I thought the refs had a tight whistle, uh, especially early on, uh, they missed calls from both sides. Um, going off memory. I didn't rewatch the game. I was just there live taking mental notes. I think they missed a, uh, a charge on the owls. And then there's some, a couple out of bounds calls or whatnot that went against us. So I think it evens out. I don't, I don't want to blame any home cooking or any foul play there. Uh, no pun intended, but there were only 36 fouls committed overall in the game. Just for comparison, you know, you don't really think about that, but Georgia Southern Eagles, when we played them, they had 33 as a team alone. So, you know, the refs let us play. Um, we doubled them up in points in the paint, 44 to 20. Uh, the Owl shot 51.7%, and that's going to play, fellas. Uh, held GSU to 40.3. Uh, the Owl's assist turnover ratio is greater than 2 to 1. Uh, there's some more math. Um, you know, 16 assists, seven turnovers, fantastic. Simeon Cottle, amazing, 10 of 16, 27 points, four assists, no turnovers, and perfect from the free throw line. Couldn't ask for more. Um, and I thought it was a great team effort. Um, everyone brought it, especially, uh, you know, namely Cottle, Adam McCoya, King, Robinson, and Gordon uh, for one reason or another, whether it was energy or production. And uh, just something of note with uh, Burden and Johnson in major foul trouble for most of the second half. Uh, something that most teams in D1 probably don't have. That's three guys who can reliably handle the ball. And that's probably not a luxury that we're going to have even next year. So, you know, we did take advantage of that uh, here today or here on Saturday. Right. Um, one thing I do want to also point out is there were a few times in the game where there was like, you know, a weird call or a hard foul um, and things like started teetering on getting a little chippy. And I thought our guys did a really good job of keeping their heads the entire game. Um, we had no techs. We probably should have gotten one when I think it was uh, Adam McCoy hung on the rim. Maybe it was Cottle um, for a little too long. But yeah, I just wanted to point out, I think we did a really good job staying cool um, and just focusing on getting out of there with the win. He did hang on the rim, but that was the one that kind of sent the crowd into a tizzy. And I don't think that the officials were calling that one there, but they did blow the whistle immediately because they were trying to see, I think if it was Quincy had gotten fouled, because that's when Georgia state was just fouling to foul because it was late and they were trying to get points up. And he went, that was the one that he put the dunk down and then the whistle blew and we were like, did he just get teed up for that? And it was, they were just reviewing it. I think yeah, they added intense. more time on the clock too, like two more seconds at, at that point as well. Gotcha. Yeah, it was weird. They stopped everything and like told us uh, that, you know, the play was going to review. And then we all thought it was because, you know, um, he was hanging on the rim for too long and then they just reset the clock. It was weird. Um, just kind of a strange moment. Um, but yeah, just talking about Terrell Burden more. Um, he got in foul trouble early, didn't have the greatest day shooting. Um, is it now it's still early, but is it time we maybe start considering Simeon Cottle as the first option in this offense? No. Um, I think, I don't think there's a true first option in this offense. I think this is a very team oriented offense and sometimes you have to feed the hot hand. Sometimes it's going to be TB. 
Sometimes it's going to be Simeon Cottle. If Cottle has a 6'5 guy with wingspan on him, he's probably going to struggle a little bit more. Um, sometimes TB is just not going to have the magic touch. Sometimes he will. Um, and, I, you know, I love I love Simeon Cottle, but we have seven guys averaging over 7.5. And, you know, that's, you know, and I do love Simeon Cottle. And what I love most about Simeon Cottle, guys, is something you might not have noticed, but every time he makes like a tough shot at the rim, he runs down the court with this smirk on his face like he heard a really good joke or something and he just remembered the punchline when he scored the basket and he thinks it's like really funny um but you know i love that and you know as far as Simeon Cottle goes and i'll say it about terrell burden too they made the right move staying in kennesaw mm -hmm. hopefully he sticks around you know in this day and age with you know the transfer portal and what we've been through over the last year. Don't want to I, I you know, speak anything into existence. Um, but it seems like he's a, he's got a good thing going. Um, one other thing about Simeon is he's been really good at the free throw line, which the rest of the team hasn't been. Um, so when it comes down to like late game, last possession type situations, that's why I bring up the kind of Simeon Cottle being the first option type of thing is like, do we start thinking about putting the ball in Simeon's hands, you know, when there's 20 seconds left to go and we're in a tie game? It's a good question. And I, I think who, like I said, whoever has the hot hand, but whoever has the path to the basket and the shot of least resistance has to take the shot. I think that's kind of Petway's philosophy. Um, but, you know, what do I know? I don't I don't play. Uh, Aaron, what do you think? No, you guys are I mean, neither of you guys have the, the wrong thought process on this. I think it is more naturally going to occur in the game. There's not going to be a timeout where coach is going to dictate you know this is who's going to bring up the ball the last four minutes of the game or whatever i mean it may be possession wise possession by possession figuring out who's who has the hot hand and, and what plus set you want to run but overall you said it earlier john we have two guys in with johnson as well but those two guys coddle and burden if either of them have the ball we're comfortable with them bringing the ball up the court and comfortable with their decision making now we may get further in the season and and free throw uh, discrepancies one way or the other might play more of a factor and they will for sure. But either of the, those guys, if the ball is in their hands, I'm confident that every player on that team is, is just as confident as I am that they're going to have the ball and make a good decision. And if, you know, if I'm that way, I'm happy that I don't know the other team's coach doesn't know where the ball is going to go or who's going to have it at a certain point in time as well. Right. It's a it's a great problem to have, really. I mean, you have an abundance of really good guards. I mean, you've got Terrell Burden, who's um, had his down game so far this year, but he'll be OK. You know, he hasn't we don't know if he's entirely 100 percent yet. Um, but, you know, we have an all conference level level player in Burden. And then Cottle is probably going to be an all conference or second team all conference player this year. Um, so definitely a very good thing to be worried about. And, you know, next year, we talked about this before, it's going to be Cottle's team. So, um, you know, and RJ, they're going to, you know, be the primaries. We're going to be getting in more big guards next year. So, you know, I don't think we'll have to really worry about having, you know, three guys who are, you know, primary handlers. Um, I, I just wish Burden, you know, could figure out the whole free throw thing. Um, you know, 64% is not going to cut it for me. I'd like at least 70 um and you know preferably of course higher than that but a consistent 70 i don't think i'll be too unhappy about right and you know for a guard 70 should be the bare minimum um especially with somebody like burden who gets to the rim as much as he does it's just um nick and i were talking about this off the air um a few weeks ago it's like when you have a player who's as good as terrell burden and does as much for your team as he does it's hard to criticize him for something like that you know especially as a fifth year senior it's like you know, how much more can he work on it and, you know, strive to get better? It's, it just feels like it's a little late for that. And this is just what he is. 
Yeah, it's kind of, it is what it is, you know, at this point, you can hope he can get better, figure it out, but it's kind of like, uh, you know, if you have Shaquille O'Neal and he's missing free throws, I mean, you're not going to, you know, complain because you have Shaquille O'Neal. Um, right. So but that's, that's pretty much all I have on that topic. And, you know, Cottle's dunk, I think got some uh, social media attention. Um, so, you know, like that mid-major madness account. So, you know, we are making some waves. It uh, kind of sucked, uh, to be honest, that uh, Georgia Tech beat Duke on the same day. Um, kind of stole our thunder a little bit. But uh, with that being said, you know, we beat Georgia Southern, beat Georgia State. And, you know, we're still the champs of the state. So I don't care what anybody says. Three straight dating back to Mercer last year. So don't let anybody forget. Absolutely. What do you got yeah. next for us, Kai? Uh, yeah, so you uh, talked about Johnson a little bit. Um, so Adam McCoy and Gordon got the start over um, RJ Johnson and Frank Juan Sherman. They've both been moved to the bench. Um, I think the rotation worked a little bit better this way. Obviously, they're both very talented and you want to see them play as much as possible, but they're still pretty raw. Um, they're still figuring things out and you got really experienced guys ahead of them. Um, so how did you feel about the way we kind of pace those guys in and out? I mean, I liked it. I mean, we're going to play the same guy, eight guys. I mean, regardless. Plus nine. Like, Armani Harris has played a game so far. Don't forget. I was just, hey, I, I was literally about to say sprinkling in Armani Harris is my next sentence. But, um, you know, uh, I, I like starting Gordon. It gets us some more size, gets us some more veteran experience in the starting lineup. And I like, you know, getting Adam McCoya in there for King. I uh, really liked what King brought uh, on Saturday, but Adam McCoy, I, I feel like he plays, you know, just as hard as King. And I think he's a little bit more in control. Um, so I, I kind of like the lineup, you know, as we had it and we did win. so I see no reason why we should change it. Um, I don't know if there's any method to the madness behind the tinkering, but, you know, Adam McCoy was four for four, nine rebounds, like what, two blocks, four assists, steals. I mean, he did it all. He brought the energy. King played tremendous defense, I thought, off the bench. Why, you know, why mess with a good thing? Yeah, we. there's only so many minutes to go around, I think is a good way to think about it. Um, when we look at the two freshmen in Sherman and, and Johnson, they – at, they are still freshmen. They are still learning. It's it's going to be a, an ongoing process throughout the season as they kind of get their feet a little, you know, deeper into the into the rotation. But the the, the minutes that we have, you can look up and down the roster, and it's like, oh man, I, I would have loved Adam McCoy to get a few more minutes, or oh man, TB only played 19 minutes. Even like to your point, John, Jamel King only played 24 minutes, and defensively, he was unstoppable he was getting his hand on every ball he basically filled the stat sheet all the way up and down in, in defensive stats um so when you when you look at the minute distribution with with the talent that we have going you know eight deep there's going to be some guys that aren't going to play as much and unfortunately at this point it is going to be those freshmen but that's completely fine they're going to get their opportunities they're going to make the most of those opportunities and and the guys that we have ahead of them the upperclassmen they're they're playing great yeah, and Ronji Gordon didn't really play much for what the last three years that he was at, you know, UAB or whatnot. I mean, he saw less minutes every single year. He was like a rotational guy, a fringe starter as a freshman, and then like second year he played like fifteen games. Last year he played like nine or ten. Yeah, so now he's getting consistent minutes for the first time really in a while, and he knows he's going to get the minutes. And now he's kind of ramping up. And you know, it's the same situation with Johnson and you know Sherman. They haven't played you know Division One ball at all, so. You know, I'm and Ranji's getting ramped up, but he's got, you know, three or four years working on his body, all of that kind of stuff. And you can kind of see him, you know, making those strides, you know, making those effort plays 
hitting some shots inside. Um, he's obviously not the perfect player. Nobody is, but um, you know, he's getting it done and he fights. The Jamil King, Quincy Adam McCoy situation kind of reminds me of last year's Case and Jennings, Spencer Rogers type of rotation where it's like, I think Jamel King is like a more athletic, more trigger happy case in Jennings where he's a really, really good perimeter defender. Um, and, you know, is a decent three point shooter when he's on, it can kind of get to the rim, but he's never going to be that number one option when he's on the floor. Um, and then Adam McCoya um, played the best game of his career yesterday. Um, you know, I think both of those guys bring something to the table. Um, it'll be interesting to see how we continue to experiment, you know, bringing them in and out and being on the floor together. Um, but as of right now, I really like the way we're handling it. I selfishly think uh, King should probably shoot a little less. Um, but, you know, that's kind of what he was brought in to do. He's supposed to be that stretch wing, you know, six, seven guy who can pull up from deep. So we'll see. But um, really like what he's doing on defense for sure. Yeah. The thing about Jamel King that I see um, is that his athleticism is like a, a notch above pretty much everybody else's at the mid-major level. And you can see why he went to. West Virginia and was recruited by Bob Huggins to begin with. Now he still has to, you know, his shot has ways to go. Um, he gets, he's a little bit out of control sometimes, but you know, I'm, I think he's getting a little bit better and more comfortable. You know, I saw a nice play where he went inside. He had some good body control, drew a foul. Um, but yeah, if he can play defense like that and, you know, man to man and also, you know, keep his head in the game and do what he's supposed to do defensively, he's an impact player at our level. Right. And to mention his time at West Virginia, people forget, you know, he's a junior, but he only played in 16 games. Um, and that was for the most part garbage time. So he doesn't have a ton of in-game experience at the you know college level. Um, so he hasn't had a ton of time to develop that shot um, in, you know, in-game situations. Um, so it's still going to come along and I think he's going to get better um, as his career progresses. I don't know if he's like a, a situation where he is what he is right now. So um, he's still, you know, taking his lumps as a player. And that shot, it's either going to have to fall as it is, or they're going to have to make some major changes in the offseason to get him to that next level. So there's, you know, it's really one of those two things is going to happen. Right. Now, I'm not a good shooter myself, but uh, he does have a funky form. And, you know, that works for some people, but that also lets me know, you know, there probably are some things you can tweak and work on with his shot. Um, so it'll be interesting to see, you know, um, if he continues in this role that he's in if that's something they address in the offseason obviously it's not something you can do right now in season you kind of just got to ride with what you got um, but that'll be a fun thing to uh, watch develop yeah and it's always concerning you know when you hear people say the word Sean Marion over and over again about your three-point shot um, you know so again that's something that you know he has to either figure out a way for that you know weird looking shot to fall or you know do something about it if he wants to kind of really get to that next level as a pro so i'm looking forward to seeing what happens there hey man if he can be sean marion then we're winning a national title <laughs> i'll take the matrix any day but yeah talk a little bit about quincy um he had i think 17 points and nine rebounds is a new career high for him both at ksu and at temple um i have been really excited to see him grow into this role I was saying that I liked him more in that sixth man bench energy type of role, but he seemed to work really, really well with the starters. Um, so I'm really hoping that we see him, you know, stay in that lineup long-term. Um, he played with a ton of emotion. I don't think I've ever seen him more invested in the game than he was. And that doesn't mean that he wasn't invested before, but I mean, he was, he was pumped every time he hit a shot. So that was really good to see. Um, what do y'all think about Quincy's performance? What I'll tell you about Quincy is, is what, just one or two weeks ago, the beginning of the season, we were, we were asking if we should be worried about his, his lack of shooting and his, his lack of impact on the court. I think every game the past what, four or five games, he has made, 
he has been an impact player who I've looked at and saying, this guy is the player of the game. And again, there he was against Georgia state. He filled the stat sheet. The, the emotion was there. He was feeding into the crowd. The crowd was feeding off of him. His shot was falling. You felt comfortable every time he had the ball and, and watching the game, you know, the, the live broadcast, the color commentary guy, he made a point saying he's got the type of frame and skill set that he can, he can find minutes on any team in the entire country. And, and I thought for a minute he was going to say conference, but he said country. And I, I agree with him. He, he is, he's got some physicality to him. He's got a great shot. He makes the right decisions. Uh, he's got size in terms of the length. Like he is a, he is a player who has continued to impress me and, and the coaching staff. And I mean, he's gaining a lot of trust from me. I know he's, he's an older player and he's been around, but he's week after week, game after game. He's just continuing to impress me. Yeah. He's a competitor. That's all I have to say. I, I already kind of spoke about his stat line earlier. So I'm just going to say like exactly what you said, Aaron, with, you know, he feeds off the crowd and vice versa competitor. That's it. Mm, yeah. It seems like he's gained a lot of confidence too. You know, last year he was kind of that bench three point guy. He would come in, he would shoot three times, hit one of them, you know, so he can hit that 33% mark. Um, but he seems way more confident. I think that took some time. Um, and I think it will still take time. Um, but he, when he's on the floor, you know, he, at times, it seems like he's got the keys to this offense or he's going to be the number two or number three guy. Every time he's out there. Um, I like that. He's, you know, willing to get to the rim against Georgia state. He was uh, better from the outside, but you know, against FIU, he'd hit the pump fake and get to the bucket. Um, so been really, really happy with uh, what we've seen from him. Um, but moving on to the other side of the ball, defensively, um, it seemed like after the FIU game, we really locked in in practice. Um, we looked way more controlled, way more organized. We weren't flying all over the place. We weren't getting beaten off the ball. Um, so that was really good to see. Aaron, I want to ask you, as the uh, basketball player in the room, um, what were the noticeable differences? Yeah, you, you brought up a good point, not flying around, just lack of control uh, against Georgia State. We What I noticed a lot is, is our, our defense is going to feed based off our, our shot selection. So I'm going to go all the way back to the offensive side of the ball. When we're just firing these long shots and long rebounds, our defensive transition is is not what we thrive at. We're not the best defensive transition team in the conference, but when we're able to, to make buckets and slow the game down just a little bit, I don't need us to take up 20 seconds off the shot clock, but being able to get a, get a paint touch or get the ball in the basket and have them inbound it, bringing it all the way up the court, get our defense set up. That's going to allow us to be a lot more controlled and disciplined um, on the defensive end. Um, so that's one piece of it. And another piece that I want to bring it back to the atmosphere of the game Typically, you know, the, the bas basketball is a game of runs and, and you're going to have these lulls offensively and defensively. Um, in the past few games, we've been we've been picking it up defensively when we go on a little run offensively. Now, today, or excuse me, the Georgia State game on Saturday, we started the game a half step quicker than any previous game that I've seen. Um, we were where we needed to be on rotations. We were closing out immediately, keeping them off the line. Um, and I kudos to Al Nation and the fans that were out there that got us that got us the energy to get going because obviously we know we're great a, a great team at home, um, but we started with a little more urgency defensively and some more focus. But again, defensively, it's going to be stemmed from from our offensive discipline, and and we did a great job, you know, getting back and, and setting ourselves up well. Yeah, I was expecting Georgia State to come out and you know obviously we had the home court and I thought that was going to be the difference and it was, but I still thought Georgia state would match the energy, you know, for a time being, 
and we'd pull away, you know, at the end and use the crowd and it would be somewhat more of a ball game. Um, I, I have no complaints. We did what we had to do. We were, it seemed like we were the better team for the entire way. Um, it seemed like we were the more athletic team the entire way. Uh, there were a couple, you know, a couple plays I wish we could have back. And that's the exciting thing. We don't know how, you know, where the ceiling is. Like, for example, you know, they beat us down the court for a layup, what, like twice in a row or whatnot. Those are four points that, you know, if we were just a little bit more focused, we could have probably had back, you know, that they, we gave them a, a basket just because, you know, Cottle and King or whoever didn't pick up the ball on trying to, you know, break it out. So there's still a long way to go. And I'm very excited. Right. One thing that uh, also stood out to me was I think our chemistry looked way better. Um, and I think that's to be expected when you have a team like Georgia State that's got a lineup full of transfers. Um, but we just looked more comfortable playing with each other. Um, it took them a minute to get in a rhythm when they didn't get when they did get in a rhythm. So um, definitely something to you know see there. But that's not going to be the case with every you know team we play this year. So. Yeah, I mean, FIU had a lot more length. Um, it was harder to, for us to kind of get into anything. They pressed us a lot more. Um, Georgia State didn't really have that. So I I want to say that this is because, you know, we've been together a little bit longer. Our focus was better coming off that ass whooping from FIU. However, it could just be, you know, a matchup thing that we might have to endure all year, possibly. Like Florida State basically manhandled us because they were bigger and longer. You know, we couldn't really get into the paint and do anything there. Do you got, Aaron, do you see that being a trend to where teams that do have some good length and uh, athleticism all around and perhaps some bigger guards is going to affect us more than perhaps, a, you know, a smaller team like a Georgia State? It, it can. It can. It, it really depends on the matchup, of course. I think a lot of the times that we talked about this a little bit, Georgia State did not pressure pressure our ball handlers much at all until the end when they needed to kind of force tempo. Um, that could be due to the the lack of who, who they had on the roster or the respect they had in Terrell Burden. Um, I also think a lot of teams, they're not necessarily going to want to speed us up because we are so lethal offensively and and maybe Georgia state when went into the game thinking, Hey, we're going to slow them down. We're going to play a half court game and, and take our chances with them, you know, shooting 22 threes as we did instead of 40. Um, it didn't work out for them. That's, that's, you know, we, we showed them that we can play different ways of course, but um, it's going to be a lot of scouting report. And again, the ball handlers, ball handlers that we have, we're going to trust them nine out of 10 times. And I think, I don't think too many teams that we're going to play in conference as the season goes on are going to have those long, lengthy, quick defenders that that Florida State had or some other teams that we've played early in the season. Yeah, and I've got an interesting stat for you guys, and it probably means nothing because, um, you know, ECU won on some bullshit heave. But in our three uh, mid-major wins this year, we have attempted 22 or 23 triples in each of those games. Um, and between 67 to 69 field goals overall. So it's a very specific uh, sweet spot in our wins. So, you know, maybe that's something to keep an eye on. It's probably too niche, probably just a coincidence, but I just thought that was interesting. Yeah. Uh, you mentioned the other mid-major games and, you know, I just want to highlight like we're, we're a buzzer beater away from being six and two right now. I mean, <laughs> you know, the FIU loss was ugly. Um, it was the worst game we played all year, um, but top to bottom, 
I, I don't think I could be more encouraged with the way the season has gone. Um, you know, you'll you'll take the FSU loss, especially early in the season. You know, they're gonna they're gonna have athletes on us. We didn't shoot particularly well, but outside of the FIU game, um, I think this has been close to best case scenario for a first year head coach. Do y'all disagree? Yeah, um, our guys responded. <laughs> Period. Hundred percent. Yep, absolutely. So as I mentioned earlier, late in the first half, they switched to a zone and they really threw us off. Um, what did y'all see in that? Yeah, I'll, I'll jump in. I think really throughout the game, zone and when and, and playing against man, we made some really great adjustments on how we were attacking. Um, what I noticed when, late in the first half, we struggled with the zone a little bit, but when they were in that one three one, Simeon had the ball. Uh, he would bring up the ball, and and they typically have a lengthy similar to what you were talking about earlier, John, like a lengthy athletic um, quick guy at the top of that to really disrupt any, any movement uh, into the key. What we just trusted Simeon to get by that first guy, Damon would come up and set a pick on the middle guy in the one, three, one. And I get it. It's a quick hit. It's not, it's not this elaborate play to, to break down a zone, but if we can set that screen, like Damon did, we're going to have an open layup or the two wings are going to drop in and we're going to have a wide open three in the corner for our shooters. Um, I think that had to be something that Coach Petway talked about in the timeout and really set this play just to say, hey, if you're going to play us in a one three one, that's fine. You might get a few possessions on us and get a few stops. We're going to break it down, and we're going to end up getting a bucket. So I really love the 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 in-game adjustments that, that Coach made. And again, just like I talked about with all the players, I think Coach Petway had a great game as well. The game plan and, and whoever ran the scouting report, and those in-game adjustments, um, we shut that zone down eventually, and they didn't go back to it too much. So kudos to kudos to the players and the coaching staff on that one. It was definitely well-timed by Coach Hayes because it gave him a chance to kind of throw us off and just eat back into that game, but obviously it wasn't sustainable. Um, but, you know, who knows? If they go to it earlier, maybe, you know, we don't start out as strong and, um, you know, it's a game longer into the, into the game. So, yeah, but uh, just moving on to – um, our next game on Tuesday night against UNC Asheville, we get them at the Convocation Center at 7 p.m. Uh, they are currently five and three with some uh, losses against tough opponents and wins against nobodies. Uh, three of their wins are against non-D1s, including our friends at Virginia Lynchburg, which, you know, I was unaware had a basketball program until just this moment. Um, but their losses are against, you know, Michigan. You'll give them that one. Um, UNC Wilmington, who's one of the best mid-majors in the country right now. Um, and then Lipscomb, who is a top three, top two team in the A-Sun right now. Um, so, yeah, they're sitting at five to three. We get them at home. Um, John, we'll start with you. Uh, if you were to predict right now, how do you see this one going? Uh, well, first off, I just want to say this is, yeah, this is a home and home situation. So, you know, I definitely want to take the first one because I don't want to, you know, be going to Asheville down 0-1 against them in the season series. You know, I think we can carry over the momentum. You know, obviously, I haven't looked into the matchup, but, you know, looking at their Ken Palm rating and all that, it's lower than Georgia State, even if you, you know, put any weight into that. I don't see why there's no reason why we can't win this game. Right. I mean, they um, they've got Drew Pember, who was uh, one of the best players in the country. He was a Tennessee transfer and they went to the tournament last year. So they definitely got talent on the roster. Um, but yeah, Aaron, how do you see this one going? Yeah, and I, I think I'm just going to kind of, echo what I've said all year with these non-conference games. I'm not too concerned about Asheville, not in terms of wins and losses, but more, I, I want to focus on ourselves. And I know it's, it's again, coach speak, but, but we really made a step up playing Georgia state and every player that jumped on the court made an impact in a positive way. 
I want to see if that can continue. I would love to see if Quincy Adam McCoy can continue the streak he's been on shooting as well as being a leader on the court. Um, and I am interested to see kind of how the, the Terrell Burden, um, Simeon Cottle situation plays out as the season goes on with minutes and shots like that. I think it'll be, you know, what we've seen throughout most of the season minus the Georgia State game. But I'm more excited to see how we play and how we attack that. Um, win or loss, I, I want to see how we do it, uh, how we play our game going uh, going up there. Right. And this might say more about the rest of the schedule, but they're probably the best mid-major team in our non-con schedule this year. Um, obviously, there's not a whole lot else to choose from. I mean, I'll probably give them the edge over Presbyterian, um, maybe over Georgia State, but you know, it's all still to be determined. Um, like John, you said, this is a home and home. I think the goal needs to be go one and one with these guys. Anything else is house money. So um, yeah, I think this one being at home, you know, it's still finals week. Students are still going to be up on campus. Uh, I think we have, you know, if we have a good atmosphere, um, we should go out and win this one. Um, as for the one at their place, uh, it's a different story. So we'll just have to see. I will predict a big game from Terrell Burden because any time that Burden is even doubted a little bit, he steps up and does what he does. So watch him go off. Right. And I just want to say, and I'll keep saying this, you know, until things change. But since I've been a student, we are 17 and one at home. So, you know, it's uh, it's tough to win at the Convocation Center, no matter who you are. All right. So, uh, Tim, um, I hear you have a Tim bet. Uh, that's a little fact for our listeners. What do you got this week? Panthers are not native to Georgia. But are owls? Yes. I've seen, I've seen an owl in my backyard. <laughs> I think that's enough proof, right? What if I what if I've seen a panther in my backyard? Have you? I don't know. You can't prove I didn't. I can't. You're right. Anyways, so prove a negative. So yeah. I would. <laughs> all right. Anyways, if you all have nothing else to add, I can go ahead and take us out. Take us out. Fantastic. Thank you guys so much for tuning in. Um, we will be back to recap Asheville um, and come with the uh, midweek update um, in just a few more days. So um, everybody have a great week. Thank you for tuning in to the Owl Chat Podcast. As a reminder, you can follow our hosts on Twitter at KSU Owl Howl and at Big Owl Blog. You can also view additional content on BigOwlBlog.com. And be sure to join the online community of Owl fans at KSUOwlHowl.com slash forum. Until our hosts return, stay happy, stay healthy, and as always, go Owls!